0: You're going to love this. Just love it.
1: Maybe you will. Some good news for a change today.
2: Well I don't know I came here tonight? Why did I? That's why. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. But I am not scared. And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Yes,
1: I am. From Pacifica Radio's KPSK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast. As heard on 91.7 FM KYAQ in Oregon. On the Progressive Voices channel. On the Netroots Radio. On the Indie Media Weekly. On the FYI Nation. On the RadioOrNot.com. On the Radio Free Brooklyn. And of course, five days a week on Radio Sputnik. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. I am your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me. And I dare you to say otherwise. But you're welcome to. Our email address anytime is bradcast at bradblog.com. And you can and should follow us on the Twitters and the Facebook page where we're just, uh, I think it was about three or four uh, 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 likes away from 6,000 over there. I don't know why Facebook has been so slow. we got way more on the Twitters at the TheBradBlog at both places. Please come on and join us. We've got a, a bunch of new voting laws ahead today that I've been trying to get to for some time. A bunch of new voting laws over the past week or two that are moving forward around the country in state legislators, legislatures, because remember, uh, voting, for the most part, elections are determined at the local level, constitutionally. A lot of people ask, well, Brad, why don't we just have one standardized system across the country? And the answer is, well, the Constitution says it should be otherwise. That's one point. And the other point beyond that is, you know, it's interesting— when Republicans are in power, Democrats aren't all that interested in uh, one voting system run by the federal government, I've noticed. And when Democrats are in power, Republicans are not interested in that. So that's one of the reasons. In any event, uh, a lot of new uh, voting laws moving forward. These things matter. These things matter now. They don't, uh, well, they do matter right before elections, but there's nothing you can do about them right before elections. So now is the time to take notice and to make noise and to raise holy hell if you're a ginum, or uh, get 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 to work fighting in favor of them if you are. Because some, some of these laws are very bad for democracy. Others are very good for democracy. You will be shocked to learn that the ones that help expand the franchise and freedom along with it are in states primarily controlled by Democrats. The ones which seek to make it harder for Americans to participate in their own representative democracy tend to be Republican-controlled states. I know, you're shocked. Pick yourself up off the floor. Yeah, you there. I know. Though there is, by the way, at least one surprise in that last set uh, for now in one of the Republican-controlled states. So we'll talk about that in a bit. New election bills and laws and court rulings in, uh, among other places, Ohio, New Hampshire, Texas, Florida, Vermont, and Maryland bit later in the show. Also, Desi Doyen will be joining us with the latest Green News report, including more on the paddle in Seattle that we discussed on uh, this show yesterday with Seattle City Councilman Mike O'Brien. The fight to uh, against that huge shell oil drilling rig now in the port of Seattle heading up towards the Arctic. A new study that uh, we'll talk about, a new study that finds President Obama's new emissions standards for power plants will begin saving lives. Lives. Almost immediately after being implemented. uh, And a bit on the remarkable effort to block those standards by the usual suspects in the coal industry and the elected officials who support their industry of death. Too strong? Is that too strong, Desi he Doyle? Oh, well, hell no, that is not too strong. Industry of death? Okay. We'll talk about that in the Green News Report and a remarkable story about the indigenous tribe in Canada, which has said no to the fossil fuel industry again, even after $1 billion was dangled in front of them. Not $1 million like the old uh, Austin Powers movie, but $1 billion dollars. They said, "Mm, nah, you know what? No, thanks.
2: Yeah, that's a really inspirational story. I'm really glad we're going to get to today Uh, because people need to hear about this stuff. They need to hear that, you know, local control is important and people are standing up for their rights.
1: All of that and more, uh, much more ahead, including if we have time, by the way, millions of spiders raining down from the skies in Australia just to creep you out, just to creep out the arachnophobes, uh, really. And and maybe we'll get to some listener mail as well. Uh, But at first, I know we've got a congressman uh, on the line, so let me get right to this. Uh, Last year, after a uh, startling, for some at least, militarized police presence, like armed, uh, armored vehicles and police and camouflage gear and assault weapons and everything else after they showed up. In the city of Ferguson, Missouri, in response to protests following the police killing of African-American teenager Michael Brown, the calls for the demilitarization of the nation's state and local police force uh, forces seemed to hit a crescendo. Elected officials, such as Senator Bernie Sanders and several others at the time, called for reform if there is any silver lining uh, in the tragedy of ferguson is that i hope we learn some very important lessons when you see the kind of force that's being used in ferguson it really does make it appear that the police department there is an occupying army in a hostile territory and that is absolutely not what we want to see in the united states so i think we've got to rethink a lot of this heavy equipment that police departments around the country are utilizing an occupying force uh that really is true and it was in we saw this in ferguson a lot of people were alarmed at that militarized uh, presence in boston during the uh hunt for the uh, for the boston marathon bombers uh, of course, a lot of us had noticed that militarized presence years ago, going back at least as far as, uh, oh, well, let's see, the, uh, the just the Occupy movement in 2010 and the way that was crushed all over the country with these militarized police forces. In any event, uh, even President Obama joined the chorus calling for reform of the Pentagon's so-called 1033 program, which has long supplied police forces with surplus military gear for free, a program that uh, seemed to really go off the rails following 9-11, and uh, along with the militarization of our police nationally. You know, there is a big difference between our military and our local law enforcement, and we don't want those lines blurred. Uh, That would be contrary to our traditions. Uh, And I think that there will be some bipartisan interest in reexamining some of those programs. That was the president of the United States last year uh, as Ferguson was was blowing up. And uh, he went ahead and convened a task force on the issue and other uh, on that issue and other concerns about our nation's uh, police force. Uh, A number of recommendations were eventually put forward by that blue ribbon uh, panel. And on Monday, the White House announced new restrictions on the federal 1033 program that will now ban local police uh, from acquiring certain military supplies through federal funds, including grenade launchers, tracked armored vehicles, armed aircraft, bayonets, guns and ammunition of 50 caliber or higher. Other equipment, such as tactical vehicles, explosives and riot equipment, will be transferred only if local police provide additional certification and assurances that the gear will be used responsibly, according to The Washington Post, and in order to obtain equipment including drones humvees and flashbang stun grenades local police departments will have to be approved by a civilian uh, this is good a civilian governing body such as a city council and they will have to provide quote a clear and persuasive explanation for why the controlled equipment is necessary but long before ferguson long before The calls by the president for reform long before Monday's executive action, Congressman Hank Johnson, Democrat from Georgia's 4th District, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, was already gathering his support for his Stop Militarizing Law Enforcement Act, which he introduced last year. We spoke to him at the time about his efforts here on the broadcast as last summer, I believe, and Congressman Johnson now joins us again today, maybe for a bit of a victory lap. We'll see. Congressman, welcome back, sir, to the Bradcast.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me, Brad.
1: Uh, always great to have you here, sir. So uh, does this uh, new announcement of this executive a- action by the president, does it do everything your bill would have done? Does it go far enough? And uh, how, how do you feel after his uh, announcement of this uh, this new executive action on Monday?
0: Well, i tell you the the uh, president's executive order goes a long way to shutting down the 1033 program with respect to military-grade weaponry. Mm-hmm. And that's all that we sought to do with the Stop Militarizing Law Enforcement Act. I'm, I'm very uh, gratified by the action that the president took uh, just with one swoop of his uh, signature yeah. accomplishing something that uh, we've been trying to get accomplished by 435 members of the House plus the 100 members of the Senate. So I'm impressed with swift action. Mm-hmm.
1: But this is only an executive action, right? It, this can be undone by, uh, by future presidents, by uh, Congress itself. Uh, is there still a need for your stop militarizing uh, the Law Enforcement Act
0: at this no, point? there's, there's no question about it, Brad. Um, the executive order can be changed at any time by the next president, mm-hmm. and uh, and even Congress can come along and uh, <coughs> ban the enforcement of the executive order. Uh, but uh, what? And this is a legislative. The 1033 program is a legislative program. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to take legislation to undo the program. And um, I, I believe with the President's executive order, it creates some momentum towards passage of uh, the Stop Militarizing Law Enforcement Act by this Congress.
1: Is it overall too late uh, even if this goes forward well even if the, the the president's executive action is not blocked by anybody is it is it too late for this is the horse already out of the barn congressman uh, congressman we've got local police already seem armed to the teeth at this point this initiative won't require any of them to give back any of those militarized arsenals uh, back to the federal government will it
0: well there are some provisions that would uh, mandate return of the uh, equipment should certain uh, accountability measures not be uh, met but you're, you're you're right in terms of the horse having already left the barn to a large extent just hundreds of millions of dollars of high grade uh, military weaponry uh, already on the streets of the United States and uh, I, I that's the bad news the good news is that the stuff breaks down it needs to be repaired and uh, now we've shut down the pipeline that would refunnel uh, this material back to the streets and uh, so it's a, it's the executive order is is certainly a, a temporary fix that needs to be made permanent by legislation and the fact that we've got a lot of uh, this machinery that's already out there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we we first things first. Let's shut the door. You had and by any means that we could shut the door. I think it's good, and we now have to work on keeping that door shut.
1: Oh, well, last time we had talked about this, you had uh, I, I think you had frightened me, as I recall. We were talking about some of the assault weapons that were. Uh, Seem to be disappearing from some of these uh, state and local police forces. That there was no record keeping required in exchange for all of this, uh, th- this free equipment, and the possibility that this equipment was was you know uh, stolen, lost, or even sold uh, via some of these uh, police departments. Will that change with this program? I understand there will be some requirements for data for for, for tracking data for tracking the the usage of this equipment, the need for this equipment, and and what comes of this equipment after it is given uh, from the federal government to the local uh, police force? Is is that a part of uh, what the president is doing and a part of what you were calling for in your bill?
0: Yes, exactly. Uh, the president's executive order does mandate that the Department of Defense certify before uh, permitting any further uh, transfer. Excuse me, I'm, uh, my legislation would would provide that Mm -hmm. before transferring any property under the 1033 Act that the DOD would uh, have to certify that uh, the agencies that had received equipment in the past can keep track of it and have accounted for each and every piece of equipment. And so uh, my legislation would accomplish that objective. That's one of the areas that, that... quite frankly, needs to be shored up uh, that the president's executive order did not uh, do to our satisfaction.
1: Now, uh, speaking of uh, being certified, some of the Republicans on this issue uh, seem a little bit uh, schizophrenic, frankly. You've got uh, folks like Rand Paul, who who has actually been very outspoken on uh, uh, reforming this program, and even Hillary Clinton. Uh, has come forward and said there is no reason to uh, let the police have this type of uh, extra military gear. But other Republicans uh, seem to be interested in blocking reform of this program. You wrote about it at uh, Huffington Post, I believe it was, just a month or two ago, and you said that Republicans were trying to stop your fight against militarizing the border, that, uh, that they were interested in actually expanding the Defense Department's 1033 program. Can can you explain that a little bit?
0: Well, the House of Representatives last week in approving the National Defense Authorization Act for 2016 did exactly that. Uh, uh, they denied my amendments uh, to come to the floor, which would have prevented uh, the 1033 program from being expanded uh, to allow for law enforcement agencies to apply for this military equipment for border control purposes. So Mm -hmm. now, uh, border patrol or border control is a purpose under which uh, law enforcement agencies across the nation, regardless of how close or far they are from the border, uh, can justify uh, the need for this equipment. It used to only be limited to uh, the war on... uh, on drugs, drug eradication, and the like, uh, but now—and that was back in like
1: 1997, right when this when this program yes. first came about—and so then from, it was expanded after 9/11 to not just war on drugs, but war on terror and war on anything else. Local police. That's, decided That's to, correct.
0: <laughs> yeah. And now it now the purpose has been expanded to include border control and and then the House of Representatives. Uh, voted to do that uh, last week so instead of limiting the 1033 program we're actually expanding it in Congress
1: and during one of the hearings in in the Judiciary Committee uh, congressman you actually were trying to ask one of the uh, one of the the Arizona County sheriff's like a sheriff Babo or Babu yes, uh, yes. And, and who, who was a, a big ally of the Republicans as I recall he wasn't he the one in the commercial with John McCain uh, about build the build the dang fence was that sheriff uh, right. Babu? so yeah he's been uh you know calling for uh, more border security he's a witness at your uh, hearing at the in the uh, u.s house judiciary committee and you ask him if his department needs this type of militarized weapons uh, uh for border security what response did you get from him on that this issue
0: well he he answered quite specifically no and uh and at that point uh... Further questioning by me was shot down by one of my Republican colleagues who had been uh, installed in the speaker's chair because the uh, the chairman had to leave the committee. And so uh, that gentleman shut down my ability to ask questions. And uh, my time ran out, and Sheriff Gabot was spared the indignity of further questioning by me.
1: <laughs> well, it's just amazing to me that you've got you know these guys who are who are big on border security like Sheriff Bebo and saying no, we're good, we're fine. What what are the Republicans in your estimation, uh, Congressman Hank Johnson? What are they getting at by expanding this program? Is just this just a, a political move to show how tough they are for border security, or is this more about you know? This is something that's troubled me on 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 this issue for a long time. The weapons trade essentially keep those arms moving. Uh, you know, they're made for the military, but move them right on through back to uh, police force. Uh, you know, lo- state and local police forces, uh, and it just ultimately makes more money for the arms industry. What's their well, game I, I here? Think, I think
0: I think that's part of it, but mainly I believe there's uh, a reticence by Republicans to. Uh, go against the police lobby. Uh, it's an extensive uh, lobby, and it, it's uh, and they do good work for pay and benefits for for police officers. Now, of course, uh, the Republicans will fight those efforts. But when it comes to police wanting to have military armaments, uh, then the Republicans and some Democrats. Uh, are all in favor of that, or at least if they're not in favor of it, they don't want to cross swords with the uh, law enforcement lobby. And so I think that's the main uh, the main problem here.
1: And are you getting uh, heavily lobbied by law enforcement to keep this program up and going, or are there some elements of uh, local law enforcement that say, yeah, we don't need this. We'd like community policing and and different tactics.
0: The, the National Association, the National Organization of Minority uh, Law Enforcement Officials, has endorsed the Stop Militarizing Law Enforcement Act. To my knowledge, that's the only law enforcement um, uh, organization that has come out in favor of the act. The others have uh, have indicated their displeasure with the act, but we're still working with them to. Uh, to help them understand why this type of equipment and the mindset that comes with it. In other words, if you've got military equipment, you're also developing a military mindset, uh, which is different from a law enforcement mindset to protect and serve the people. Uh, The military mindset is to occupy, to destroy, to kill, uh, to dominate. Uh, That's That's what war is all about, but we don't have war going on in the streets of America. We may have a problem with crime, but it does not need to be met with a military solution. And and so I'm working with law enforcement uh, trade groups to help them understand uh, the concept that uh, you should really uh, try to get the conduct that you seek. So when you when you go out there and you confront uh, protesters uh, with uh, military weaponry, then you're going to get the response that you are seeking. If you confront lawful and peaceful demonstrators with uh, with the kind of law enforcement uh, community policing uh, mindset, uh, then you're likely to be met with a uh, Uh, with a public that respects you and that um, uh, you can you can control with uh, with limited force and uh, of course we know officers sometimes have to escalate that uh, the level of force but they should really uh, have the hearts and minds of the people in their minds uh, uh, as they have to go about uh, what they have to do and so we've got to reestablish uh this trust between the community and the police that serve them and i think that's really what uh has eroded uh, as we have further uh gone down the militarization road uh as we have since 1997
1: i know you've got to get to uh back to a uh committee hearing momentarily congressman um they've
0: just as a matter Is fact. that
1: right? Okay, then I'm yeah. going to let you go. I, I appreciate your time here, as always. Uh, Congressman Hank Johnson, Democrat from Georgia's 4th District. Always great to talk to you, sir, and uh, congratulations on what seems to be the positive effect of your uh, pushing forward that legislation.
0: Thank you, Brad, and uh, continue uh, to spread the truth to uh, the multitudes out there. We appreciate your voice.
1: Thank you, brother. I will. Congressman Hank Johnson from uh, Georgia's 4th District.
0: Thank you, my brother.
1: Okay. Uh, You know what? I really like that guy. Yeah, he's he's, awesome. He's got like one of the driest senses of humor in all of Congress. I I really, uh, I think he's hysterical. A lot of people don't get him, but I I think he's quite hysterical. There was one question, actually, I wanted to uh, bring up to him, and I know he had a run for that uh, hearing. But, um, you know, libertarians, I'll just toss it out here, pretend that they're afraid of big government. I want to say small L libertarians, you know, Republicans who claim to be uh, libertarians. They pretend that they're afraid of big government. But then when they're given a chance to do something about it like this, suddenly, oh, no, we don't want to restrict the amount of uh, you know, guns and tanks and grenade launchers that are being sent to our police force. So uh, that's one of the things that I meant by uh, Republicans are kind of schizophrenic about this. But uh, just to underscore this point, a uh, crazy Republican, former Republican Congressman Alan West from Florida, uh, on his website, his editor-in-chief there, according to TPM, uh, noted that the timing of the president's order for uh, rolling back this 1033 program for rolling back these uh, uh, big guns, tanks, grenade launchers that are being sent to local police, uh, is just curious how it seems to coincide with the U.S. military's upcoming Jade Helm 15 training exercises.
2: Again? Yes. They are oh, still Still oh on this,
1: yeah. This to, for those who don't know, it's the... Uh, U.S. military special forces training operation that's going to be going on in several states, most notably down in Texas, where Governor Greg Abbott has said that, oh, I will have my uh, state militia keep an eye on them because they're pretending or they have convinced themselves that what's really going on here is a federal government takeover of the state of Texas.
2: And yet, oddly, uh, Greg Abbott, back when he was attorney general, was just fine with it back in 2007 when when Rick Perry was governor. Well,
1: well, and when George W. Bush was the one uh, presiding over these military exercises in the state of Florida. But now everything's changed. Now uh, they've got to watch out for this uh, this rascal, this uh, tyrant, Obama. Uh, On uh, Alan West's website, it says, uh, quote, "...with the upcoming Jade Helm military exercises planned throughout the Southwest this July in civilian areas, some folks are concerned. The federal government has grander plans than simply a practice session. Federalizing the police seems to come up in conversation, particularly since the Obama administration has been so uncomfortable with local law enforcement actually doing its job." such as quelling violent riots, looting, and mayhem in recent months. So what they seem to be saying is, the Republicans in this case, uh, they're against taking those arms, those military weapons, away from state and local police because that will give the upper hand to the federal government and uh, do you understand this, Des? You're from Texas. You're our expert. We consider you our local expert since you're the only one here from Texas. Your expert. Your expert. Our expert. Yeah. Do Do you understand what they're saying here? What their concerns are? So they they don't want police to be militarized unless they want the police to be militarized. Exactly.
2: Your rights are (laughs) conditional as long as they coincide with what this particular party and these particular partisans want. Um, They they love the military unless it's the military under Barack Obama, and then they're not so happy with it.
1: Uh, But even, you know, they also, they they don't like the police under Barack Obama when they've got all of those weapons until they try to take away the weapons from those police. Anyway, yeah, just a little schizophrenic. Federalizing the police... Says Congressman. He's Alan
2: only West. asking. Yeah. He's just asking the question. Yeah, he's
1: just asking. Is that what's going
2: on? Some people have been saying oh, things brother. in conversation. Yes, they
1: have. Uh, all right. Well, uh, back to reality here uh, momentarily. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with uh, a whole bunch of new voting. This is why this stuff matters. This is why, by the way, one of the reasons Alan West is now out of office because he was theoretically voted out of office. Although there were problems with his election at the time and I supported his his fight, his fight and his supporters fight to make sure that every vote was counted and counted accurately. And by the way, it never was in that election. I'm sorry to say. Uh, But the war on democracy continues. Let's take a quick break and we will come back with uh, new voting laws. In Texas, New Hampshire, Ohio, Florida, Vermont, Maryland Some good, some bad, all of that And maybe even flying spiders straight ahead I'm Brad Friedman, this is your Bradcast
2: There's something happening here what it is ain't exactly clear. No,
1: it never is.
2: There's a man with a gun over there. Hmm? Telling me I got to beware. I think it's time we stop, stop. children. What's watch that sound? Everybody, look what's going
1: down. Looking what's going down, that's what we do right here on the Bradcast. Welcome back, Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. Uh, My thanks once again to Congressman uh, Hank Johnson of Georgia. I've I've had a few stories that I've been trying to get to, uh, voting stories. Uh, Folks who know bradblog.com know we cover elections 24-7, 365. Not just the the horse race, because you know what? It's about allowing people to have that horse race. But if they can't participate in the voting system... In short, it's the track conditions you got to worry about as much or more than the horse race itself. So uh, there's been a bunch of uh, election laws that have been moving forward in states around the country over the past week. Just over the past week, there's been a spate of them. I've been trying to get to uh, trying to get to these for a while. I mentioned one last week concerning uh, Ohio Republicans who want voters to pay to get special ID cards. So that they can vote, you know, if they don't already have one of the approved I.D. cards. House Bill 189 would require voters who cannot provide a driver's license, passport or military I.D. to obtain a state issued card costing eight dollars, eight dollars and 50 cents. Of course, that would be a poll tax. And back in the uh, back in the 60s, the Supreme Court already determined that poll taxes were illegal uh, and that was a poll tax. I think it was about a buck fifty for a case in, in Virginia. And so now eight fifty for an I.D. if you don't have one in Ohio, if you want to participate in your own democracy, if this law uh, moves forward right now, Republicans in the uh, State house are are pushing this. Yeah, that was a 1966 Supreme Court ruling barring states from the using the quote affluence of the voter or payment of any fee as an electoral standard. We'll see if that moves forward in Ohio. I talked a little bit about that down in Texas. We've been talking about for years because that's how long Republicans in Texas have been trying to keep people from voting. Keep legitimate uh, already registered voters, some 600,000 of them who just don't happen to have one of the very, very strict forms of I.D., photo I.D. that Texas is now calling for. Texas has for years already required an I.D. before you can cast your vote. So this isn't about an I.D. for voters. Also, federal law already requires in all 50 states that when you register to vote, you must present I.D. Uh, if you don't present that I.D. at the time you register, for example, if, if uh, you know a lot of uh, registration is done by by groups out there in the in the community, if you don't present a um ID at the time you register to vote, then you will be flagged. When you go in to vote for the first time, then you will have to present an ID. This is already the law in in all 50 states. Most states already require some form of ID. ID is not a problem. Uh, Even though, like, Republicans like to pretend that's the case. Uh, Oh, Democrats are against ID before voting. No, they're not. Uh, The thing that voting rights advocates care about is is that there are enough types of ID to be presented. So that you don't exclude huge chunks of the population. So not just, uh, you know, driver's license, but, uh, you know, paycheck stubs, uh, utility bills, bank statements and so on and so forth. That's fine. As long as there are, you know, plenty of allowable forms of ID, it's fine. But no, uh, Texas Republicans know that demographics are working against them very quickly. And uh, white Republicans in the state of Texas are quickly becoming the uh, the minority and they know it. So the important thing is to keep people from being able to vote at all. And that's why they've been pushing this strict draconian polling place photo ID restriction, which last year after a full trial on the merits was found by U.S. District Court Judge Nelva Gonzalez Ramos to be unconstitutional and a poll tax. She wrote in her 147-page ruling that this new law by Texas creates an unconstitutional burden on the right to vote. Unconstitutional burden on the right to vote. Underscoring unconstitutional for you Republicans out there who like to pretend you, you give a damn about the Constitution. It presents an unconstitutional burden on the right to vote, has an impermissible discriminatory effect against Hispanics and African-Americans, and was imposed with an unconstitutional discriminatory purpose. She also added it constitutes an unconstitutional poll tax based on evidence from the uh, given from the state examined at the trial. The law could serve to disenfranchise as many as 600,000 already legally registered voters. So it was found unconstitutional, uh, and now they're uh, quarreling at the appellate level about whether that law will get to stand or not, and it may make its way back up to the Supreme Court. But in the meantime, as the Texas Observer is now reporting, uh, a new law, HB 1096, aims to make it even worse. They write, four years after Texas passed one of the strictest voter ID laws in the nation, lawmakers will debate another measure, that could make it even more difficult for Texans to vote. House Bill 1096 by uh, uh, Rep Jim Murphy, Republican of of Houston, would require the address on a voter's approved ID such as a driver's license to match their voter registration address. Currently, voter ID addresses and voter registration addresses do not have to match. So, you know, for example, if you uh, if you have a driver's license and you move in September, and you re-register at your new address in October, and then you go to vote in November. But you haven't updated your driver's license yet because it's uh, it's a Texas driver's license, and it won't time out for another five years. You can uh, you can go ahead and use that uh, driver's license to vote. Nope, not anymore. Not under this law. Currently, if a voter registrar believes a voter's resident residence is different from the one indicated on registration records, the registrar may send the voter a residence confirmation notice and voters can respond by submitting a signed response confirming their residence. But under this new law being proposed, voters would have to provide evidence that their residence address matches their voter ID. Critics arguing that uh, requiring voters to have updated addresses on their IDs would be another burden on poor and minority voters who move often, and they, of course, tend to vote for Democrats. Texas Democratic Party Executive Committee member Glenn Maxey says this bill would change all of that. Despite the rhetoric about voter integrity from Republicans, efforts like HB 1096 are simply an exercise in voter suppression. Some people, he says, are trying to kick certain people off voter rolls who don't look like them. Maxi says the law would target uh, poor, minority, elderly, and disabled Texans. He went on to say, in America, you think that every citizen would be eligible to vote, even people who move a lot? Texas is going the opposite way. He says, if you're not smart enough or with it enough to know that you need the right address on your driver's license to vote, then... F-U, says Maxie, the uh, the head of the uh, Democratic Committee in in Texas. So that's what's going on in Texas. So the fight for your right to vote continues in Texas. Meanwhile, up in New Hampshire, where the first in the nation primary will happen uh, not too many months from now, uh, the highest court last week struck down Republican lawmakers' attempt Their latest attempt to restrict voting in that uh, crucial early voting state. Uh, The language that they struck down ties the right to register to vote with the possession of a driver's license. And the high court there found that that violates the state constitution. State Supreme Court found that the use of the word residence on the standard voter registration form added in 2012 is unconstitutional. The forum should use the word domicile instead, which includes those living in New Hampshire who do not re-register their cars and obtain new driver's licenses within 60 days of moving to the state. This was something that they were using uh, to keep people from voting. Oh, you moved here? You're a student, for example, but you haven't re-registered your car now, the court, found, the Supreme Court found long ago that if you're a student, a college student going to town somewhere, you can vote in that town if you wish. You can register to vote. You don't have to register your car if you have one. But Republicans keep fighting this. And uh, thankfully, the New Hampshire Supreme Court struck this down. The uh, critics of this law uh, said and the court agreed that the, uh, the use, the way this was worded, was likely to exclude uh, f- voting uh, for college students, active members of the military who happen to be stationed in New Hampshire, and other people who have, may have moved recently uh, to the state or who frequently move homes in filing that lawsuit, the New Hampshire Civil Liberties Union argued that the uh, f- that four out-of-state college students named in the complaint would be forced to pay a poll tax in order to vote in the state. Meanwhile, New Hampshire lawmakers are potentially looking at imposing a 30-day residency requirement on the state's same-day voter registration law because you can actually register and vote in the same, on the same day in New Hampshire. That's good. Oh, the right to vote. You can have it if you want. Unless you don't have the right ID card and unless uh, they haven't changed the rule, which is currently 60 days for the residency requirement down to 30. Another effort to prevent populations that typically vote for Democratic candidates from casting ballots, reports uh, Kira Lerner. So that's uh, some of the bad news in a few states around the country uh, that are trying to make it harder to vote. And if you live in one of them, pay attention. Please pay attention. Because you could be the next one to lose your right to vote. Uh, Pay attention and make noise. In uh, Florida, we have another Republican-controlled state, uh, but some better news. (laughs) Believe it or not. How often do you hear that? Good voting news out of Florida.
2: (laughs) Almost never.
1: Never, right? Uh, In a surprise uh, to voting rights advocates who feared a veto of this law, Florida Governor Rick Scott signed a bill into law on Friday morning that will set up an online voter registration system by 2017. So it'll be after the upcoming presidential election. But okay, making it easier to register to vote. He says he did so with, quote, some hesitation and some concern because he says cyber attacks are on the front pages almost every day and fraud and I.D. theft are uh, arise whenever a new avenue for information transmittal is created. And he is right about that. He's right to be concerned, and that's why we point out that Internet voting is a no-go if you talk to uh, computer scientists and security experts. But when it comes to registration, they say, the ones that I've talked to, we I've covered this for years and i, I uh, talked to a lot of computer scientists about this, they say they feel much better when it comes to registration because that's something that, you know, the Internet voting, you got a secret ballot. Once you cast your ballot, there's no way to know if it's ever been counted accurately as per the voter intent. But when it comes to voter registration, that a voter can check later on to make sure it's correct. County officials can look at it, make sure it's correct, all of that stuff. And while there are concerns about online registration, we've reported some at Bradblog.com over the years, like the Illinois State uh online state voter registration that turned out to be completely hackable. So there are concerns about it. Uh, And so uh, Governor Rick Scott, Republican from Florida, is right to be concerned. But uh, in this case, if it's done properly, it will allow uh, hundreds of thousands, millions of uh, voters to be able to register easily online, change their registration, and have access to the polls. Back when uh, President Obama took office in 2008, only two states, Arizona and Washington, offered online voter registration. But now, uh, as of Friday in Florida, that puts that state in line with nearly two dozen other states and the District of Columbia in offering the online registration option to, uh, to residents. This has been found to be especially beneficial to younger voters who are the most likely to have Internet access, but the least likely to be registered to vote. Voting rights advocates have cited online registration as a key to reaching the more than 50 million eligible Americans who are not even registered to vote. Never mind getting them to the polling place, but just registering them, them, uh, them to vote. Rick Scott has been no friend of voters over the years, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, he's cracked down on voter registration drives. He's put out huge penalties against uh, voter registration drives that don't do every single thing by the book, which has scared, for example, the League of Women Voters out of the business of, uh, of voter registration because they were concerned that uh, too many of their uh, people would be uh, you know, fined, sent to jail, if they didn't cross their T's and dot their I's, so the first for the first time in 70 years, I think it was League of Women Voters in Florida stopped registering voters, uh, thanks to Governor Rick Scott. So this is a, a good move. Uh, he's also gone after imaginary non-citizens on the voting rolls who don't exist, and we found that to be the case at Bradblog.com in a series of investigative articles. Um, so anyway. Uh, we'll give him a, a break for the today. That's good news. Uh, very quickly, we'll get to, uh, I know we got to get to a break. Stand by for the Green News Report, Desi Doyen. Um, very quickly, then, uh, the good news. You know we don't spend as much time on the good news as we do on the bad news. Go figure. Vermont passes new progressive voting reforms. They are about to be the uh, latest to uh, allow people to register on Election Day. Excellent news. Registration, by the way, is just meant to keep people from voting, not to help them vote. So uh, Election Day registration is a good thing. And in the state of Maryland, the ability of 40,000 people to vote now sits on the desk of Maryland Governor Hogan, who is a uh, a Republican. But this would bill would give ex-offenders in the state the right to vote while still on parole or probation, impacting about 40,000 currently disenfranchised citizens. These are people who have already served their time And they ought to be allowed back into society and have their right to vote. And by the way, well, I'm sure we'll cover this on another day. But even if you're in jail, even if you haven't served your time, it is my belief that you should have that right to vote. You who are most affected by bad government laws, perhaps, and have been imprisoned, you, too, should be able to participate in your representative democracy. In any event, uh, maybe folks that uh, have now served their time in the state of Maryland will uh, be allowed to vote again soon. If Hogan, Governor Hogan, doesn't sign the voting rights bill by May 30, but he doesn't veto it either, it will automatically become the law. So some good, some bad, uh, and uh, unfortunately, too much ugly. We're going to take a quick break, come back with uh, some flying spiders and, of course, Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. Brad Friedman, this is your broadcast. <laughs>
0: Licky played guitar jamming good he's weird and, gilly, and the spiders from Mars, they <laughs> Well they
1: weren't hands. exactly spiders from, Mars, from Mars, Mars though they could have been who knows uh, Oh, welcome back brand. to your broadcast Brad Friedman oh, of bradblog.com. Uh, millions, bad. millions of tiny spiders recently fell from the sky in Australia. Alarming residents whose properties were suddenly covered with not only the creepy critters, but also mounds of their silky threads, says NBC's Live Science. This month's spider downpour. In the country's southern Tablelands region is just the most recent example of a phenomenon commonly known as spider rain or, in some circles, angel hair because of the silky, hair-like threads the spiders leave behind. Desi Doyen, have you heard of this before?
2: Actually, I have. You have? Yes. Really? Yeah, you know, remember back in Charlotte's Web when Charlotte's babies, at the end of the book, they all take off on their little balloons? Oh, yeah. That's basically that was it. it. That's, that's all it is. It's just that they do it all at once, which normally people don't see. But this particular species happened to all go at the same well, time. Well, this is
1: the explanation uh, because it creeped people out down there as uh, spiders but the adorable were. Baby I know, spiders. I know. You love spiders. You're not frightened of it spiders so at all. they cute. Uh, Rick Vetter, a retired arachnologist at the University of California, said that what this is is called uh, It's a, a form of spider transportation, transportation known as ballooning. Ballooning is not uncommon, just as you say, Desi Doyen. Uh, They Doyen. Some of these spiders climb in a high area and stick their butts up in the air, release their silk, and then just take off. That's what's going on around us all the time, Vetter says, but we just don't notice it. The reason we don't notice it, apparently, uh, is because it doesn't happen all at once for the spiders, for millions of spiders to do this all at the same time. So in this kind of event... Um, Todd Blackledge, a biology professor at University of Akron, said in these kind of events, what's thought to be going on is that there's a whole cohort cohort of spiders that's ready to do this, ready to do this ballooning uh, dispersal behavior. But for whatever reasons, the weather conditions haven't been optimal and allowed them to do that. So then suddenly the weather changes. And now they have the proper conditions to balloon, and they all start doing it at once. That's what's believed to have happened in, uh, in New South Wales down in Australia. Uh, an abrupt change in the weather or wind pattern may have carried these migrating spiders up and away and then back down to Earth en masse, not the orderly dispersal that they uh, or the residents of the Southern Tablelands region were expecting.
2: I can imagine. <laughs>
1: spiders from the sky. I love it uh that's much more uplifting than these uh just uh, sad terrible depressing stories you always bring us in the green news report desi doyan
2: well we're gonna try to change that a little bit today
1: <laughs> there are some good news stories in today's green news report let's get right to it our uh latest green news report the monument to the hubris of the oil industry sitting on our waterfront
2: the paddle in seattle kayak activists hit the water to stop shells arctic drilling good news for breathers, study finds new rules for power plants will save lives. But, Republicans are already trying to stop them. Plus, and for the third time, the membership said no. Indigenous tribe in British Columbia says no, again, to natural gas.
1: All of that obstructionism and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment
2: i emit greenhouse gases
1: uh too much information congresswoman cynthia loomis republican from wyoming
2: you can measure our emissions with a high degree of accuracy
1: no no really we're cool this is your green news report Okay, Doyan I I don't know what that hearing was uh, on where Congresswoman Cynthia Loomis was talking about her emissions yeah but I do know that the Sierra Club apparently sent her a box of gas X to help with her emissions problems after yes. that speech
2: yes they did
1: and I you know I guess what she was getting at was we all emit gas Carbon dioxide when we breathe, is what she was trying and to say.
2: And methane and other things, too. Right. So
1: was she trying to say, hey, we all emit greenhouse gases, so we don't need to do anything about it?
2: Something like that.
1: Okay, then. The Republican plan for dealing with global warming is going very well. What do you have for us today, Desi Doyen?
2: Well, first, as we reported last week, the Obama administration has given oil giant Shell conditional permission to drill for oil in the fragile, melting Arctic this summer, despite Shell's tragic comedy of errors the last time they tried to drill in the Arctic back in 2012. Over the weekend in Seattle, a flotilla of hundreds of environmental activists in kayaks protested Shell's massive Arctic drilling rig, now docked in Seattle Harbor, in an attempt to stop oil drilling in the fragile arctic and to act on climate change
1: and that rig is massive we had seattle city councilman mike o'brien on the broadcast yesterday here's how he described shell oil's 400 foot polar pioneer rig the number of us and the size of us compared to this you know this monstrosity that's You know, it's a monument to the hubris of the oil industry sitting on our waterfront. Seattle's
2: progressive city council is trying to take action, fining Shell for not having the right permit to use Seattle's harbor. But, as Councilman O'Brien said on Monday's broadcast, they feel they have to try.
1: Companies like Shell that have so much money and so much power to disregard the health of our planet and our people um, need to be held accountable and not do this. Shell is an energy company. They can be investing in renewable resources just as well as they can in oil, and they're just being stubborn because they see money to be made in this. And we need to make it clear that as people and citizens of this planet, we're not going to allow that behavior to be tolerated anymore.
2: Hippie. Meanwhile, good news for breathers. The first independent peer-reviewed study of President Obama's new historic emissions standards for the nation's power plants called the Clean Power Plan will not only reduce the nation's greenhouse gas emissions, but will also save thousands of lives every year by also cutting toxic emissions. The lead author of that new study, Dallas Bertra, published in the journal Nature Climate Change, says that when the power sector begins shifting away from coal-fired power plants to meet these new standards, the public health benefits will accrue immediately. So
1: this is going to actually save people's lives?
2: Yes, Bertra says immediately. A matter of days to weeks.
1: And so who could possibly be against that? Well... As if I don't know.
2: Funny you should ask. Those new Clean Power Plan standards are opposed by the dying coal industry and their friends in Congress who are blocking the new Clean Power Plan standards, even though the standards are required by a 2007 Supreme Court ruling. Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito from Coal State West Virginia has introduced new legislation to erase those new standards as if they'd never been been written and also would rewrite the Clean Air Act to block the EPA from setting any future standards. You
1: know, come 2016, I hope the electorate erases people like Shelley Moore Capito and all of these other elected officials who are standing in the way of saving lives. Unbelievable.
2: But some good news. While the activists in Seattle were taking it to the streets or the waves, an indigenous tribe in Canada voted to reject an offer of over a billion dollars to allow the construction of a natural gas pipeline and a natural gas export terminal on their harbor. The Lackwalam's band in northwest British Columbia says, quote, it's not about the money, but about preserving their food, their water, and their legacy, which they say is not for sale.
1: Wow. They turned down a billion dollars? Yes. Well done, lack tribe. I'm impressed. For much more on that story and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download the Green News Report anytime via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Find us and follow us on the Facebook and the Twitters, at Green News Report. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. <laughs>
2: I love that story.
1: Thank you for uplifting me on the way out the door, Desi Doyen. I appreciate it. Thank you, Desi, our producer, and to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess. Also, my thanks today to Congressman Hank Johnson of Georgia's 4th District. We'll be back with you, same Brad time, same Brad channel tomorrow. Until then, you can find us on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog and, of course, at Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.